0: Welcome to World of Soundtracks, a monthly podcast where we explore storytelling aspects in films and TV through music. Whether it is comparing book adaptations, observing themes over a series, or microanalyzing the choice of instruments, we look at how the story is told and moves us. I'm your host, Ruth Mudge, and today we will be looking at the musical world from the Harry Potter series. the fourth and final segment on music from the Harry Potter series, and it will be a two-parter as there is so much to cover. With the previous episodes, we explored character and relationship themes, as well as the iconic Hedwig's theme, which is used for multiple purposes from Harry's theme, as well as representing the world of magic in Hogwarts. In this episode, we will explore the ways the various composers used instruments and themes to create the world of magic, both through music styles that are very familiar to us, as well as their choices that help to set the world apart from the normal muggle world. It is a fine line to ground the world in our established musical history, but also give it its unique qualities that set apart the world of magic, to the school of magic, to creatures, to flying. Much of the world is established by John Williams in his first three films, which will be the focus of this first episode. While Hedwig's theme is part of establishing the main theme in musical world, he also uses the combination of older instruments and oddly placed notes to establish something both familiar and yet different. He uses the Western orchestral sound of the late romantics, mixed with the little Stravinsky from the early 20th century in the first film, which then influences the sound for all the films moving forward. The celeste, a keyboard playing bells, is one of the primary instruments for magic for over a century from the Nutcracker Ballet by Tchaikovsky to Pinocchio, to numerous other ones involving magic and has become synonymous with the sound of Harry Potter to this day i know people who will hear that instrument in other unrelated soundtracks and immediately think of harry potter the celeste opens the entire series before the violins and chimes join in weaving up and down another color from the magical world is often the sound of choir giving it a mysterious sound as the movie opens with a dark night and dumbledore taking away the lights from privet drive Musically, it keeps a balance between light in the chimes and celeste, with the spooky unknowns in minor in the low cellos, followed by the weaving up and down in the violins and choir, with a little bit of Hedwig's theme thrown in. This opening contains some of the classic sounds associated with magic in film, in many ways, giving a little homage to the opening of The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a famous classical piece by French composer Paul Ducat from 1897 that many people know from Disney's Fantasia featuring Mickey Mouse. While the opening establishes the late romantic sound and nods to the sorcerer's apprentice, John Williams clearly makes it his own with a few odd notes that doesn't quite fit in with the normal harmonies and appears much more discordant both in Hedwig's theme and then other themes and places as the magical world is explored. Since the series is primarily through Harry's eyes and experiences, the audience gets introduced to the magical world along with Harry as he first sees Diagon Alley and Gringotts Bank where he sees goblins for the first time. There is a mixture of joy and wonder as he sees this beautiful place heard in the grandeur of the brass, with a few dissonant notes as a reminder that the world is slightly different, and then the more curious angular oboe as he watches the goblins at work. The mixture of joy and comedy is heard as Harry arrives at the train station looking for platform nine and three quarters as he meets the Weasley family and sees them all go through the column to the platform for the train. This music includes the celeste, winds, and pizzicato in a playful manner imitating the sound of Russian composer Sergei Prokofiev in his ballet Romeo and Juliet written in 1935. This moment is from the very beginning called The Street Wakens." sound mixed with notes that are both in tonal harmony and those that are just slightly off matches the awe and disconnect of Harry's experience and his world now expanding as he sees the world do what used to be considered impossible. combination of joy and wonder is heard with the bizarre and dissonant as Harry enters Hogwarts with the first-year students, starting with joyful brass fanfare and sleigh bells, but then moving to an odd and slightly unsettling violin solo as they meet Professor McGonagall for the first time. This trumpet fanfare continues as the students enter the Great Hall, seeing all the students and their houses headed towards the sorting hat, which leads to one of the school songs written for Hogwarts. Hogwarts Forever is seemingly like a school hymn or song, with a few odd notes that almost sound like students accidentally played incorrect notes. The full brass version heard on the soundtrack was originally part of John Williams' children's suite, and while present throughout the first film, It is not heard in that specific version, especially with the moving trombone line. song first plays when Hermione is sorted into Gryffindor, and then again in the bassoons when Harry is called towards the sorting hat, with the horn taking it up again when he joins the Gryffindor table. One could argue that the theme almost seems to be for Gryffindor instead of Hogwarts, but considering that the story is being told through Harry and his friend's point of view, that is part of his experiencing magic and the school. Clarinets and strings play the school theme as the first years are brought to their dormitories, experiencing the moving staircases, arriving at the door requesting a password, and seeing figures move in the paintings. Hogwarts is also a place where Harry not only learns about his parents, but also connects to them. The school theme is heard in a solo French horn, as he and Hermione sees his dad's Quidditch medal, which in turn helps Harry connect school, flying, and Quidditch with his dad, as he becomes the youngest seeker for his team. The school theme plays one last time as Harry's team wins a point during his first Quidditch match, this time playing it much faster as it is in the midst of a game. While this theme is not continued in the series, it did help to set the sound for Hogwarts before themes of family took over for Harry's connections to the school and the people within. While the moving staircases were introduced as delightful, if not a little confusing, they do cause problems for them later on. The use of choir suggests spooky danger or mystery as the trio of Harry, Hermione, and Ron get moved to the forbidden floor. Combined with swirling harps and flutes, It helps to musically portray the moving aspect of the trio being taken somewhere new. Mm -hmm. Choir is often used for the ghosts at Hogwarts, which is a common musical idea for ghosts since they had been people, but usually hanging around after a macabre death. In this case, most of them are nice or mischievous, so while making them sound spooky, there is no actual danger with these ghosts. They are first introduced during the first feast at Hogwarts, heard with female choir swirling around as they appear. One of the best examples is heard in full form on the soundtrack, but only briefly in the film, as weird background-speaking singing is heard over electronics at Christmas time, as Hermione says goodbye to Harry for Christmas break. It sounds as if it could be taken straight out of The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens.
1: The owl's flocking on this merry Christmas
0: One of the main aspects of Hogwarts, like many schools, is the focus on team sports, which is the case in the game of Quidditch. One of the unique aspects of this game is that it involves flying. In the movies, it is often heard or seen like a battle, as the teams and houses take this very seriously. In fact, there are several moments in the first two films where the music sounds remarkably similar to the prequel Star Wars movies, which were coming out at the same time. Even as Harry's team gets ready to arrive on the field for his first game, the snare drum and low strings give this sense of upcoming battle against their foes, the Slytherins. The first Quidditch theme that is heard is a grand brass fanfare to introduce the opening Quidditch match for Hogwarts and Harry as seeker for Gryffindor. John Williams himself was no stranger to fanfare music, as he had written music for the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984 and is now heard during every NBC broadcast since. This iconic sound of teamwork, heroes, and achievement has a very similar feel and goal to the opening of the Quidditch match. returns at the end as the game concludes and Harry wins the game for Gryffindor, before the theme switches into Harry's wondrous world. There are hints of this theme in the Quidditch match in the Chamber of Secrets, but much of the movie contains either the Nimbus 2000 flying theme or the same music from the first movie. Not only is Harry introduced to places of magic, such as Diagon Alley or Hogwarts, flying on broomsticks or stairs that move, but he also sees a variety of magical creatures, from goblins to trolls to a three-headed dog to dragons. It is as he, Ron, and Hermione try to get Hagrid information about the Sorcerer's Stone, who accidentally tells about Fluffy the three-headed dog, where they witness a baby dragon hatch in Hagrid's home. Since it is both cute and a little dangerous, the music is made up of fun, quirky winds, such as oboes, bass clarinet, and bassoons, with a few lower slides in the strings, since the dragon does cough up a bit of fire to singe Hagrid's beard. Not to mention that having a dragon is illegal. not the only creature that Harry will see in baby form, as he witnesses Fox the phoenix go up in flames and then reborn as a baby bird in the next film, The Chamber of Secrets. Fox has a theme throughout the film, and it is a little slower as Harry first sees him old before he bursts into flame with the English horn, which is a lower oboe. A flute and French horn play the gentle melody with celeste rolled chords. Then the Celeste and cellos play the melody as the Phoenix is reborn in the ashes, the Celeste providing a magical quality to it. Fox's theme returns as the phoenix arrives to help Harry fight the basilisk at the end of the movie, eventually blinding it as the theme appears more heroic in the horns and brass, with the flutes flitting around to match the flying. The theme plays again when the bird's tears heal Harry, and then flies him out. The track Fox the Phoenix is a beautiful concert suite version of the theme, something that John Williams does for many of his themes, as well as a few of the other Harry Potter composers. It is a complete piece to be performed by orchestra, but not heard in that specific way in the film. Fox and the basilisk are not the only creatures that Harry encounters in the second film. The basilisk is a giant snake and feared by many, including little spiders, that run when it shows up. Every time they are seen, a repeated descending chromatic pattern is heard in the flutes. Partway through, Harry and Ron follow these spiders to find the giant ancient spider in the forest, named Aragog, in order to help Hagrid, who was accused of being responsible of harming and freezing the children instead of the monster in the castle. In contrast to the high flutes, the theme for arriving at Aragog's lair is slow and low, representing something that is quite old and a little malevolent in the Forbidden Forest. may have proven to be less friendly before they are rescued by the flying car, he did give clues that one other creature would know information about the basilisk in the walls, which turns out to be the ghost moaning Myrtle. She shows up several times over the course of the film in the girl's bathroom, with a combination of comic and tragic, both in the oboe and bassoon matching the comedy of her personality and the tragedy of how she died mixed with the swirling female ghost voices as she flies away. While the story deals with older creatures, John Williams also begins to play with older instruments from the 15th through 1700s to give a sense of musical history, or for a less familiar instrumental color. This is heard in a comedic sense for Gildoray Lockhart with a harpsichord, but also for the sound of Diagon Alley at the beginning of the film. Diagon Alley is an example of a piece created for this children's suite around the time of the first film, then put in the movie soundtrack for The Sorcerer's Stone and then not used in the actual film. However, it was saved for the second after Harry found himself accidentally in Nocturne Alley. Since the sound of Harry Potter had been established in the first film, the musical world could begin to expand with recorders, tambourines, drones and strings, and finger cymbals. However, it is in the third film, The Prisoner of Azkaban, and under a different director, that John Williams really begins to play with the sound of Renaissance instruments, and gives it both a quirkier and darker sound to match the tone of the movie. There is less celeste for the sound of magic, and instead is replaced by recorders, crumhorns, and sackbutts. Even at the beginning, the crumhorn, which is the ancestor of the oboe, is used when Ron shows Harry pictures from their summer travels to Egypt while in the leaky cauldron. Recorders are used for Harry's primary family theme, A Window to the Past, and Haggard's professor's theme includes recorders, crumhorns, and sackbutts, which were predecessors of the trombone. Even Sirius and Peter Pettigrew's motifs are played in the harpsichord. This is an example of a French song, Pavana la Battaglia, featuring crumhorns, strings, lute, and drums, most likely written around 1555, to give an idea of what is being imitated. One thing that becomes important to this film is the use of diegetic music. Diegetic music is music that is part of the world, heard or even played by the characters within the movie, but often used as accompaniment throughout the film as well. Hedwig's theme is a good example of this as it is played by Hagrid on the recorder in the first film. In Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, a new school song is the primary diegetic piece. The song was written not only for the film, but also for the trailer just the way Hedwig's scene began. This also helps to feature another important aspect of British school life, which is the school choir. As the film itself is a little darker, it takes a slightly more ominous sound, featuring words from the witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth. Double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Double, double toil and trouble, something wicked this way comes. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, Adder's fork and blindworms sting, Lizard's leg and owlet's wing. In the cauldron boil and bake, Filet of finny snake, Scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, Witch's mummy, maw and gulf. The full list of things thrown into the witch's pot creating a brew for Macbeth is more extensive than in the song, but is one of several ways that connects the old world of magic of Hogwarts with our older stories and instruments. It also seems appropriate to use instruments that would have been heard at the time of Shakespeare in a piece quoting his work. There is also a use of a tritone in the cello or viola da gamba underneath the first verse, which was known as the devil's interval in the medieval ages since it is so dissonant in between two perfect intervals, adding to that level of darkness of double toil and trouble. The version of Double Trouble that was just played is the trailer version, and like the track Hogwarts Forever, it doesn't appear in that full version in the movie. The song enters partway through as the students arrive to school, and then the school choir is singing it while holding frogs at the main opening feast. Like Hogwarts Forever, this school song is used for events throughout the castle itself. It plays in recorders and harpsichord as the students head towards the Gryffindor common room, setting up the sounds of the school year. The contrabassoon plays it after this as the camera pulls away looking at Hogwarts, seeing dementors surround the castle. The contrast of instruments and context, matching both the fun and the darker side of the song, warning of trouble for the upcoming school year. The song plays later in Celestin Harp, as Harry overhears Snape and Dumbledore talking about their concern that Sirius Black had escaped from Azkaban, before anyone realizes that Sirius was in fact good and not a traitor. The track is aptly called Secrets of the Castle, especially keeping the words Something Wicked This Way Comes in mind. His themes of trouble with Sirius Black continues when the Gryffindor students arrive at their door to find the fat lady gone and a disturbance beginning to happen among the different portraits around them as they wait for Dumbledore to come and solve the problem. As the search begins for the lady and they find her hiding in a completely different picture, all disheveled, declaring that Sirius Black attacked her door, the theme is played in the trumpets and a little bit more angular along with the moving violin patterns as it appears that trouble has indeed arrived. The theme also appears in a full orchestral version in the ending credits music, Mischief Managed. Not only does this film have a new school song, but it also introduces a new Quidditch theme, although in this case it is made up of a motif or fragments. The melody is much more angular, and with the intervals jumping around, as the motif is being passed around different instruments as the game plays. This one resembles more battle music, and is less of a joyful fanfare which matches the tone of this game the game is in the rain which changes the mood and the fact that dementors are hovering around gives a greater sense of danger and unease it is also a game that harriet and gryffindor loses <laughs> The Dementors, while supposedly there for protection and looking for the criminal Sirius Black, also brought a lot of darkness to Hogwarts, reflected with dissonance in the orchestra. Their music fits completely in the horror genre, with sliding high violins and dissonance in the brass, and provides a great sense of unease, as is heard in the first time they appear on the train to Hogwarts and begin to suck out Harry's soul. In contrast, they are defeated or stopped with a Patronus, which is light, usually heard through tonal choir, an example of how choir can reflect light and beauty. This is heard from Professor Lupin saving Harry in the train to Lupin teaching Harry how to do the Patronus charm to protect himself. One interesting thing in this story is seeing the same scene with Dementors and the Paternus from two different perspectives due to the time turner. Because of this, the music itself is also slightly different. The first is heard when Harry and Sirius are being attacked by Dementors, with both orchestral and choral dissonance, as their souls are being sucked away and Sirius is dying. While the Patronus light saves them, there is still dissonance as the Dementors flee and the French horn plays a bit of Harry's family theme with Harry believing that somehow his father had saved him. suggests to Hermione and Harry to use the time-turner to go back and fix things, including being able to save Sirius from being taken back to Azkaban, wrongly accused. This includes some fun moments of ticking clocks, chimes, and the impression that music is being rewinded with repeated patterns and lots of glissandos, as chaos ensues over each other in numerous instruments at different speeds. Combined with seeing all the people move around them as if rewinding a tape, and then going through the cogs of a clock as they run to Hagrid's is a brilliant way of both seeing and hearing going back through time. This leads them arriving to the same moment with Sirius and Harry being attacked by Dementors. Harry is so convinced that his dad had sent the Patronus that he kept waiting for him to show up. The choir makes it sound as if everyone is singing their own tune or note at the same time to create a cacophony of sound as the Dementors began to suck away Sirius and Harry's soul. However, this time it becomes clear that it is Harry himself who sends the Patronus Light away to save them. So, as the choir sings, the voices pulse with the visual of the light pulsing, along with Harry's family theme again playing in the French horns as he saves himself and his godfather, who is his remaining family. While much of film three is about light versus darkness, there are still quite a few fun and zany times to be explored, and some of these are expressed through jazz for the first time. Some of John Williams' earliest jobs were as a jazz pianist, and he was the son of a jazz percussionist, so jazz is definitely part of his musical DNA. The wildest expression of this is when Harry goes on to the night bus, running away from home after accidentally inflating Aunt Marge. Not only is there some fun but slightly manic jazz, but also slows down with an accordion as the bus is squeezed between different vehicles on the journey, as well as having a whistle for being a bus going to busy London. While not on the soundtrack, big band music is used as the students try to use the ridiculous spell with Bogarts as they confront their fears by imagining something ridiculous instead. This also fits since it is a class taught by Professor Lupin, who also listens to jazz in his office in the background. Along the ridiculous and fun things includes The Clear Homage to a Specific Waltz by Giacana Rossini, The Thieving Magpie Overture from 1817. mind the speeding up as well as the descending trombone line, then mixed with odd notes matching more of the sound of Shostakovich, adds to make it comedic as the muggle world meets magic when Aunt Marge begins to blow up and float away after she insulted Harry's parents. Floating Away, this film also includes one of the many great flying themes that John Williams has written over the years. This is a wonderful example including the high violins, flitting flutes, and often trumpet that helps to give a sense of soaring, either in flying or being in love. Or in the case of Superman or How to Train a Dragon by John Powell, there is both. There's always a little bit of movement from the brass or low strings underneath the melody to help the momentum going, plus a few harp glissandos. In this film, it occurs when Harry rides Buckbeak the Hippogriff, at first rather unexpectedly taking off in class at Hagrid's encouragement, with Timpity and other drums being the surprise taking off point. This glorious flight is an excellent way to end the first part with John Williams and his music to create the magical world around Harry Potter, including school music for Hogwarts, flying, Quidditch, and a variety of creatures. The second part will focus on the other three composers, Patrick Doyle, Nicholas Hooper, and Alexander Desplat, as they continue to both follow in his footsteps while creating new sounds and making their own musical choices to help further tell the story of Harry Potter. Join in on discussing all the musical moments regarding your favorite John Williams theme within the Harry Potter films in the Facebook group World of Soundtracks or on Twitter and Instagram at WO Soundtracks. Please like and subscribe, share with friends, or even leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon. I highly recommend subscribing so you don't miss when the next episode comes out. Until next time, happy listening special thanks to all those involved to make this podcast happen, especially Edith Mudge for the title music and Lindsay Bergsma for the graphics. This is World of Soundtracks.